Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview again a group of sports performance experts. So first we have Alexi Pianozzi, the strength and conditioning coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, the top NHL team. So welcome back, Alexi. Thanks for having me, Julian. Great. Thanks, Alexi. And then we have uh, Pierre Bayeux, an experienced high performance director and uh, FIFA expert. So welcome back, Pierre. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Great. Thanks, Pierre. And then we have Dr. Derek Lawrence, uh, assistant athletic trainer for the U.S. men uh, national soccer team. So welcome back, Derek. Chair Julian, happy to be here. Great. Uh, thanks, Derek. And then we have Adam uh, Quigley, an experienced athletic trainer uh, in the MLS and the NFL. Uh, he also has worked for various U.S. national soccer teams. So welcome back, Adam. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Great. Uh, thank you, Adam. And then we have uh, Dr. Bill Burgos, an experienced NBA strength and conditioning coach. He has worked for a number of NBA teams, such as the Magic, the Knicks, and the Team of Wolves. He's also an adjunct professor at Mississippi State and Austin P. State University. So welcome back, Bill. Thank you, Julian. No problem. I like your accent, by the way. Um, so, <laughs> hey, so guys, what I want to talk to you about today is First, we'll talk about the best practices and tools that you guys have come across regarding biomechanics and the control of human movements. Uh, and then I also love for you guys to uh, give me your take on, obviously you guys have a very different background, but how, you know, within the context of a team, how do you understand everyone's roles and, and expertise, right? Uh, and then we'll talk about uh, Messi's debut. You know, he scored about nine goals ever since he joined the MLS and Inter Miami. And then I'd love to get your takes on the biggest mistakes that you've seen sports performance startups make over the years. Uh, you know, it could be a, a different uh, variety of factors. And then I also love to get your take on the best approaches used by sports performance startups that you've come across and why. And then lastly, we'll talk about Djokovic uh, who is looking to win his 24th Grand Slam. So how does it sound? Good. Cool. Great. So, hey, the, the first topic I want to cover, and we never actually talked about uh, biomechanics and the, the control of human movements, but I'd love for you guys to tell me about the types of tools that you've used and the best practices uh, in that area. Any, anybody wants to start? Anybody? Should I pick someone? I'll, I'll kick it off then. Um, okay, great. I think, um, you know, coming from the world of hockey, the, the study of biomechanics sort of in the sport or in the sporting motion is a little bit more difficult because you're on the ice, you have, you know, substantially more equipment than, you know, most sports. So if you want to wear markers or tags or anything like that, it's a little bit more complicated. I know there are several companies that are trying to sort of bridge what they've done in MLB or foot, uh, football, things like that, uh, track and field into hockey. And it's a little difficult at this point. So I think we're still in the infancy of yeah. kind of making some of those technologies work, at least from a hockey perspective. 
Um, I know in running based sports or at least track and field, you know, like, uh, people at Altus have done some great work kind of analyzing biomechanics, you know, throwing out kilograms, things like that. But specifically with my sport, I guess what I've noticed is that the more I try to understand biomechanics, the less I feel like I do because I see elite athletes move in very unique and different ways, but still mm -hmm. be effective and efficient in their own way. So, you know, what, well, there might be some more similarities in some sports versus others amongst the best performers. I think recognizing that there's a functional bandwidth of performance for, you know, optimal biomechanics in the movement, um, you know, makes give me pause to look a little bit deeper into what I think is actually optimal movement or the best form or the one that's going to lead to the you know lowest chance of injury or things like that um hopefully some of those new technologies will help us answer those questions but i think um, they're kind of still in their infancy at this point okay makes sense uh and by the way are, are you guys more you think the, the 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 technology based on camera like camera sensing versus other approaches any uh kind of any preferences that you guys have come across as far as biomechanics Anything convenient, you know, yeah. on my behalf, yeah. yeah. You know? And and there are there have been some there have been tools lately that are pretty pretty unique, you know, just using a phone. Uh, again, yeah. I think as goes the progress, goes the interest that we have because we always need something that is time efficient. So my only word on this is, um, you know, and Alex talked about it in hockey. So for us in soccer, you know, it's. It's also a complex pattern. So, are you looking at the biomechanics of running? Are you looking at the biomechanics of cutting, of jumping, heading, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So, um, some sports I think are, are better, um, uh, you know, biomechanics are better applied for some sports that are very technical. You know, I mean, baseball come to mind, for example. But I yeah. think, but either way, the way I've used them and the way I would probably use them, you know, more in the future, uh, is you know, as a screen. To start with, you know, for all these guys, and 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 really a, a reference point in terms of you know after an injury, when you look at you know how you know how this injury has this affected his gait, you know his movement pattern, where was he at before, where is he now, you know is, does he compensate more than in terms of performance, you know let's have him move better because I think we have some other issue we need to tackle first in season, you know, and again. And I'm done in MLS. We have a 11 or wherever, you know, it doesn't matter the league. We are in, in season 11 months out of 12. So I think in other sports, when you have a long off season, this is where, and when the teaching is 1v1, this is where I think the biomechanics can, can make a huge difference. Yep. Thank you, Pierre. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen a, a pretty wide range of, of implementation of biomechanical testing and baseline and, and usage for just, monitoring um you know what i found to be really helpful is is doing you know any type of movement screen that we're doing individually or anyways and maybe preseason, utilizing some type of camera or um, honestly even if it's just a phone you're sitting here videoing everyone or if you have multi-directional cameras or multi-angle uh cameras and looking at their different movements and then maybe putting in force plates or, or combining a few different technologies to use um, for weight distribution and force output, um, and and seeing how that can be used from a baseline to you know post injury to you know return to play integration, um, but kind of what going off of Pierre's original answer of convenience, it's 
in basketball, football, hockey, whatever it is, like the movements on field are so dynamically complex. It's not just single plane movements. And so if we're testing something just in one plane and comparing it to someone that moves in a multi-planar direction, that one of them is, is wrong, you know, quote unquote wrong or, or abnormal compared to what would be common. And, um, so taking into consideration the, the context of movement, where they are on the field, if that's the case, um, and kind of what, what's normal for their overall movement compared to what's, what's on field, I would say. I'm, I'm kind of on all over the place a bit on this one. But um, the, the last thing I'll add on this is that a lot of the providers that are biomechanical specialists or experts to my experience, usually are not the people that are doing the day-to-day -day operations of high performance management, implementation, therapy, whatever it is. So I, I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, but um, this is definitely one of those collaborative efforts of, of how do you get a, a athletic therapist or sports therapist to figure out how to use biomechanics in their therapy or rehab, or you have a high performance coach how do you have biomechanical analysis be a part of their movement analysis per se um, without it taking over the entire perspective of like, this is right, this is wrong. It, it can simply be like a neutral, like this is just what is, and we can use that as information. Makes sense. Thank you, Adam. Anybody else wants to provide their feedback on that? I'll, I'll touch on it real quickly, Julian, if you don't mind, or sorry, Bill, yeah. if you want to go. Uh, just, I think the common theme here is you ask about what's the best tool and the common theme here is just a video camera. Hands down, that's going to be your, your, your main tool for any kind of biomechanical work here. And so if someone in a, at a lower budgeted area, you know, even at a high school level, uh, mm -hmm. here in America, like you could, you could do some biomechanical stuff by just simply using your phone as Adam had mentioned, and then you can spring, you know, build off of that. And something that we did at the club I was at previously is where we didn't have a big budget, but we used a can't, you know, we were able to set up some iPads, the multi-angle stuff, kind of like Adam mentioned, and we referred it to a physical therapist who was an expert in biomechanics because we uh, consulted with him of what are the best tools that were best tests that we could do. If we found some red flags on the, on some of the tests that we did in house, we would send them to send those athletes to him and he would implement a video camera, motion capture and force plate in a, in a, in a motion screen. So, that's kind of how it's built off of just a simple capture on the camera. So the best tool is the camera. And, and Derek, was it Uplift Labs that you guys maybe used previously or? What was that? Was it Uplift Labs? No, they came in towards the end of there. We okay. just used simple iPads uh, with, the, with, the, with the recordings and sent them to a, a gentleman by the name of Kevin Vandy from Competitive Edge. I'll shout him out because he's a great guy, but uh, that's what we did. Makes sense. Uh, maybe, um, Bill, from your perspective in the NBA? I mean, regardless of the sport, as long as I've been doing it, uh, we've always used a camera, whether I was at Velocity Sports Performance, we used Dartfish um, when it first came out. Uh, and then I just used my phone. I, I use, but the, and Derek's right. I mean, the video camera is one of the most inexpensive tools that you could use to do biomechanical screenings. The thing is, is you got to understand what you're looking for. We could do as many videos as we want, but we have to understand what we're looking for in order to make sense. Even if you get the best 
tool out there, whether it's Dari or anything like that, if you don't understand it, and then how can it affect programming? Um, but yeah, it's like uh, any good program will do some form of biomechanical screening, uh, depending on your budget, but determine what you have access to. Everything's always going to stem in having a, a video camera. And so, um, so like I said, I've used the phone, I've used Darfish, but everywhere I've been, we always did some form of assessment, whether it's in baseball and in the VA. And, and, but the thing is, when we do this, there's a purpose behind it. And what I mean by that is, it's like what Pierre was saying, it's like, all right, what's this baseline? You know, what are we gonna do? So we understand when it comes to return to play. And also, we also understand where we need to go and things of that nature. But mm -hmm. other than that, um, I think, you know, having, when it comes to the best tool, I think it, it comes to the best uh, customer service and support system. Cause I've had some that failed on me easily. And so, and it all based down to that. So I hope I answered your question. Yep, uh, I think you did. Um, hey, uh, the next topic I wanted to cover is, I mean, obviously, you know, within a team, right? People come from very different backgrounds. They have very different roles. So, uh, you know, throughout your career, right? Uh, how have you guys been able to understand, you know, everyone's roles, right? Any, any kind of best practices, things that you've seen that work really well? Anybody can uh, provide his perspective on that? I, I'll go ahead and start. So I think the best things that, that ever worked for me in terms of our organization and in, in, in the teams I've been on is that we got to know each other very well beyond the work environment. Um, you know, we have teen outings, we got to learn each other. And I think when we get to learn each other in, a, in, a, in an environment where it's not the work setting, uh, we get to understand who we are and why. Uh, so, uh, and then they get to understand your role as well. I think those are the best things that help put together uh, a successful team in terms of the high performance staff. But um, the other thing is, is this early on in my career, I, I took the, uh, the initiative as well as some other ones to learn more about each profession. I've done observation hours in the physical therapy. I was a student athletic trainer, so I did those things. I understand sports science. You know, I, I do a lot of that. I understand being a biomechanist, things of that nature. But it takes uh, the person itself has to take the initiative to understand that role, to understand where, what, what, what that person's thinking, on top of understanding who that person is as a human being. Yeah, uh, great points. Anybody uh, want to comment on that? I'm, I'm going to say the same thing as Bill. You know, early in my career, you know, I moved to the U.S. to to uh, you know, do a master in athletic training. So yeah, you know, it's it's up to you to expose yourself. Now I think the question it's a little trickier once you're already in a professional professional setting, and then you know what can you be looking for. So for me, is being part of an organization with a strong leader, and then setting up in-house professional development. You know, is it the answer to the question? Is it perfect? No, but I think it's ideal, especially if you go back to what Bill was saying. If people know each other, trust each other and know that they can benefit from each other's knowledge. So just set up regular sessions and then you rotate every month. And uh, it's a little, it's a little, you know, it could be a little boring because some people will, will hear things that they know already, but it'd be their turn the next month to be exposed to something, you know, they, they need to be exposed to. So that's what I would say. Yep, yep that, that makes sense. Um, Alexi, Adam, Derek, any thoughts? I guess I'll, I'll mention a few things there. Just 
you know, bridging the gap between the two, I'm, you know, just could be biased simply because I am an athletic trainer, but I think athletic trainers have kind of the edge there in terms of being able to integrate themselves into the per performance or strength conditioning roles because getting your, you know, getting your degree in athletic training in a medical background and a nationally recognized board of certification, you know, prior to entering the workforce obviously can help out a lot in that area. And then as we've seen and hope and I think we understand that the NSCA is changing this in the future but you know as athletic trainers you can go and study and learn to get your your CSCS mm -hmm. that still doesn't mean you're a strength coach right that good athletic trainer recognizes that they can get that certification but in order to actually use it and apply it they still need kind of like what Bill was saying that observation of within a that strength conditioning world that's going to help out a lot more and then obviously the NSCA has the CPSS coming out now, the sports science certification. And this is something, again, that I think both strength conditioning coaches and athletic trainers need to definitely look into because this is just the way the whole performance area is evolving, right? We've, you know, we, we started so early on with just like the small little medical part. Then we threw in the, the strength conditioning. Now we're high performance group and now we're adding in the sports science stuff. So it's all these different areas that you do have to familiarize yourself with. And so it's just trying to stay with those trends and staying on top of those things as best you can and that can be tricky but kind of like what pierre alluded to if if you can be within a group in your organization that's willing to learn from one another that can go a much much longer way yep thank you derek alexi adam you guys have any thoughts yeah i think i mean i think everybody was making really good points so it's 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 hard to find something new to say amongst that but i think you know one of the one of the issues, not issues, but one of the things about being a strength and conditioning coach is because it's, again, as uh, Derek was saying, it's just that certification, you know, you get your CSCS and hey, you're, you know, there's a pretty wide variety of people who hold that credential of CSCS. Some of them have been on the job for 20 years. Some of them have been on the job for a year. Some of them have worked with eight different organizations and are having, you know, a resume and, and experience that's through the roof. And some people have not and you know that's not necessarily good or bad but when it's a little bit less structured in terms of what differentiates you know uh, some of those things within the field it's kind of harder to understand what strength coaches role is supposed to be within that sort of high performance environment a little bit some people think it's just sets and reps and you know squats and deadlifts kind of thing and other people think it's much more of an integrated uh role within the team and if, if people don't on what that role is for that person or how they fit into the larger context whether they're athletic therapist or a strength coach however they fit into the larger piece or the larger puzzle of the organization i think them understanding that role everybody else understanding their role and then all being on the same page with that role assignment i think goes a really long way and that's when you can you can recognize that three like trainers all who have the same certifications but slightly different skill sets so they're going to be used a little bit differently and same with three different strength coaches who might have different skill sets and they'll be used a little bit differently as well and holistically we'll all come together to be the best high performance team possible i think that kind of uh, when there's that understanding like pierre said with a really good leader at the top sort of disseminating that down then i think you have uh, uh the potential to cross over the two departments really co uh, cohesively yeah. yep thank you alexi great great a, points a realization that i've i've had over the the past few years has been that a lot of our professional development and continued ed is driven by what comes with a unit, you know, what comes with the CEU unit or what comes with a, um, a, 
in, in other professions they're called different things but um that by by guiding our conversations and choices of courses and certifications and additional education based on what gives you credit i found to be a little a little kind of misaligned because it it what uh, kind of alluding to what bill talked about about the culture of a team and collaborating between a high performance environment um i think becoming very clear on one's vision on a provider's vision of the type of provider they want to be the type of practice they want to do clinically or in a performance setting and then investigating and exploring every part of that and gaining experience in it speaking to mentors and professionals in it you know one of the most uh, valuable education or like things that I learned within the the soccer environment was periodization, like football periodization. And it wasn't a course that I took. It wasn't a CEU I took. It was a handful of, it, it cost me a handful of coffees, but it was a lot of sit downs with, um, you know, a guy, yeah, high performance uh, director named Andy Thompson and, and Frank Barona performance coach of just, teach me, you know, let me sit into your meetings. Uh, can I be a fly on the wall and just learn about the conversation? What are the metrics? What are the units we're talking about? What's important? What's not important when we're looking at these things? And it was, you know, putting ego aside, like it wasn't for me to become a sports scientist. It was for me to become a better just team teammate really yeah. is, is what I found to be most important. And, um, it wasn't for the CEUs. And so do the CEUs, check it off because that's the national board. That's just so you can, you know, say hello to, you know, Uncle Sam in, in that context. But that's not necessarily the driving factor of what's going to make us uh, better providers and a better industry as a whole. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. <clears throat> hey, um, maybe a lighter topic. I know this is not so much rated sports science, but uh, Messi, right? We talked about Messi the last time. Uh, he finally came to the MLS, started with Inter Miami, and, you know, Inter Miami up until like maybe two months ago, they were at the bottom of the MLS, right? The MLS League. Now, you know, with Messi, he scored nine goals. I mean, they just keep beating teams, right? And there's a lot of excitement. So, I mean, I don't think it's any surprise that, you know, the way that Messi, uh, you know, started in the MLS, right? But do you guys think that Inter Miami can actually make the you know, the MLS playoffs, um, you know, how do you think they're going to do with Messi now as part of the team? So I can start with this one. They're still at the bottom of the MLS, you know. They so, are. So, uh, and so, therefore, <laughs> likely answer is probably no. Um, they've done, they've had some League Cup game when they've done okay. The result in MLS, they haven't played many games. They've played a lot of home games. Now it's Messi and the rest, just to be Correct, you know, it hasn't been only Messi. They've signed some other players since. So that's a, yeah. that's that's a yeah. big factor, and uh, that's about it. So, in a, in a short answer, I would say they won't make it. Although we've seen some questionable officiating. Uh, let's, mm -hmm. let's. I'm going to put this out there as well. Um, but I don't think. I think. I think it's too late. You know, I think it's too late. Okay. Uh, anybody wants to comment on Messi? His debut in the MLS. I don't, I don't watch enough uh, to know if they're going to make the playoffs or win or not, but I do know they're going to make a lot more money now that he's there. So that I can guarantee for Inter-Miami. Yeah, correct. 
That's right. I mean, I did sign up for Apple TV ever since he joined That's one uh, the MLS. So more money, more money for, for Apple and those guys. <laughs> Anybody else before we move on to the next topic? Okay. I, I can touch on it. Uh, yeah. I, I would just say that, you know, statistically speaking, they obviously still can make the playoffs and they're 12 points out right now and they have two games in hand. So, you know, you win both of those and you're only six points behind. And I, I think it is actually fairly possible that they will make the playoffs. Um, I would, I just find it incredible the, uh, the way that the game has shifted as far as formation strategies um impacts by one player and and specifically Busquets in addition to, to Messi of uh just the way from a from a soccer side of like love of the game their style of play and how it's fully impacted like all of the players around them you can see the IQ of some of these other MLS traditional players are starting to grow and the runs they're making and the way they're playing on the ball uh, is just it, it's really beginning to change so it, it is kind of wild though how there's been this massive messy debut and like he's there's still no MLS as Pierre said like they're still in the bottom of the table <laughs> they right. make with this championship but you know, it's 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 crazy football. It's fun to watch, uh, but it, it looks like it, it's making it's making everybody better on the team, sort of, right? So they got a boost of confidence. Um, yeah, so when they, you have uh, someone who attract the attention of many uh, more than one defender, you know, it's going to leave some more room to the other guys. But again, you know, you have Busquets, you got Jordi Alba, you got a new coach. It's it's a little more than him. Uh, no, for sure. Yeah, schedule, kind of... schedule matter, you know, there's a big difference in MLS, you know, we, we like to say everybody can beat each other. Yes, there is. But there's also teams at the top that are probably playing a little better, especially if they're home. So I haven't looked. Uh, I know they're going to Cincinnati was doing well right now. This is going to be the mm -hmm. real the real deciders, you know, can they compete with the top teams? That's um, yeah, so true. We'll see. We'll see. Um... Hey, um, look. The next topic I want to discuss is: I mean, you guys have you know been approached by many, many uh, types of sports performance tech startups, right? Uh, so, what are the kind of the the biggest mistakes that you've seen those startups make when they uh, approach you guys and they work with you? Is it because they did, totally don't understand the workflow? You don't know how to work with the teams? They were making claims that were totally unrealistic. Uh, it wasn't scientific based. I mean, what are the biggest mistakes that you guys have seen startups make over the years? Anybody wants to uh, provide some thoughts on that? I, I think the biggest mistake that most startups have is not having their product or prototype completed. And I'm, I'm the one, you know, whether it's finishing it up or like, you know, or I'm, uh, I'm just helping them complete their, their project. I just feel like if you have something that's um, uh, finished and with a good support staff, customer service, because I, you know, it, you know, as a strength coach, I feel like there's enough on my plate in terms of, of working with the guys and doing reports and everything else. Now I have to build your product. I, I'm in a position where I need a product to help my uh, workflow become a little bit easier in order and also to get more out of the training sessions, not to build your product. 
And so I think um, most startups, they are, they, they start a little too premature by introducing it to teams and making it seem like they have a full finished product. That's just me personally. So basically the candidate they were making about we've got something already, but it wasn't ready. Yeah. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of startups who do make those claims, right? To get the attention of the teams. And in the end, it's just not quite there yet, right? Yeah, and I think, and I think that leads to uh, poor success or, I mean, or they may succeed later on, but it just, it takes away my time to, to, to work with these guys effectively and efficiently. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks, Bill. Anybody else has any bad experiences or a bad story with any, you know, some companies and. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say necessarily, uh, you know, bad experience, but I think it's, it's pretty par for the course. If you're trying to sell something you want to, you know, you want to emphasize how good or how effective it could be. And I think, you know, when you come in there saying it can do this A, B, and C, and then it's on the ground and it can't do A, B, and C, or even more commonly, it can do A, B, and C, but A, B, and C doesn't really matter. So I don't know why mm -hmm. I want to monitor A, B, and C. Um, you know, then, then you have to explain to the company who's probably poured a lot of time and money into it why you know, this doesn't fit for us because it doesn't actually measure A, B, and C, or A, B, and C doesn't matter. And that's, you know, we, we don't need a, a product like this. So um, maybe it's a little bit of wishful thinking or not understanding how uh, their product might integrate into a particular sport or, you know, the difference between the sports and why it might work in one but not another. But ultimately, you get a you know a pretty good sales pitch, and then when you get it on the ground, it's just not quite measuring what you thought or as valuable as uh, you know they led you to believe. But is it because sometimes they don't come from the world of sports, or they have the wrong assumption or the wrong ideas of what's important to measure maybe for the teams? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think they're. I think it's a combination. Like I've I've had companies you know approach approach me or approach us with, you know, ex NHL players or former coaches. So, you know, they have the experience within the field, but I'm not sure if they just get so focused on one small element of, you know, well, let's make the path, this biomechanical pathway better. This one part of, you know, the hundred parts you put together to play football or hockey or basketball or whatever. And then we can fix this one part, but forgetting that it integrates in with the other 99. And then when you do that, it kind of loses a little bit of, what the product can do or what they want it to do yeah no that makes sense um anybody anybody else yeah i think i'm with alex alexi on this one it's a i always I always say that you know the, the one thing we have these years we've we like interns coming in and that's a little diversion but i'm coming back to the topic you know we have interns coming to like professional environment and they are so focused on what they just learned that they forget that you know, what they're about to uh, apply is just a little piece of the final product, you know. And that's going back to going back to what Alexi was saying. I think this company don't understand that, um, again, it, what they're able to help us with in, in theory, you know, and, and even if that's the case, it's also a little bit of the product. So they overestimate, you know, the, the, the impact that their product will have, which is a consequence of, you know, um, don't really understand the needs that people like us would have. So... It's because at the end of the day, if the product is good and if there is a need, then it would sell itself and there would be a budget for it. I really believe so. Uh, mm -hmm. The question is, is you know, can, can they offer such a product? 
But and also maybe to Pierre your point, you say if it fits into your budget, or even if it doesn't, you'll find a budget for it, right? It will. It will. Yeah, no question. That's what I'm saying. If 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 we are looking for you know a way to have a competitive edge, you know, and if someone comes with a valid point and we believe that makes a difference, then I think organization will make room for it. You know, that makes Again, sense. That's yeah. yeah, that's it. Yep, uh, I've seen that before too. Yeah, I've seen team telling me, look, if it's good, if it's really cutting edge. I go to my GM and I get the budget for it. Yeah, and going back to Bill was saying, you know, to be cutting edge and good, he has to be a finished product. So, yeah, uh, good point. Anybody else? Yeah, I would say one thing that there's a, I wouldn't say a, a common issue with a lot of companies, but I was talking to a, a CEO the other day, just talking through possible sales pitches and whatnot. So for him, I appreciated his, his, uh, respect for our positions and trying to understand our viewpoint of it for when companies come in, but it's, it's a misperception of our workflows. Okay. They think that they can bring a product in that's supposed to be this major benefit for us, but the product's going to, you know, overwhelm one mm -hmm. other person within our group. It's going to take that person away from their daily tasks. That's already been implemented on, you know, on a regular basis. So really getting to understand how the workflow happens for the staff and whether they have the capacity to bring it on is a major thing that I think a lot of companies have a misperception or misconception of it as they're coming in to sell these products. And so I think that's one thing that a lot of them could learn. And that's, that kind of goes back to the whole, like, are they from the sport? Are they from within the locker room or are they not? Or are they just, you know, some very good engineers that have developed a product that they see that's going to, you know, change how we operate but if it doesn't actually go into our workflow, then it makes it very difficult for us to really want to buy that product. But again, kind of like what Pierre was mentioning, if it's good enough and they come with finished product, we can find a way to make it work into our, put it into our workflow because we see the value of it. But again, that's just one thing. Like if, it, if it's a, if it's going to add on a big process to our day, it's almost like a non-starter for a lot of people. You know, uh, just to piggyback what Derek was saying, he actually brought up a good point. Um, sometimes I feel, not sometimes, sometimes there's been times where vendors would go basically over our head. Like either they spoke to us and then they would go over our head to just to get the product in the organization. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, I've worked in a situation where we had a, uh, a VP of innovation. And, and so they approached him, him not understanding the workflow, you know, he's now we getting pressure from mm -hmm. VP. And so now it's, it's challenging for us, even though we, we were trying to figure out beforehand, but to the vendors, they didn't, they didn't understand that. So for them, it's a lost opportunity. So they do whatever they can. And this is just my experience. So I feel like understanding who the, the right people to talk to, understanding mm -hmm. that if it's the strength coach, the biomechanist, whoever the case may be, that's actually putting this together, make sure you talk to the right people. Now on the other end of the spectrum, you know, one of the things I, when I was on a team, we did well with, we, anytime there was a product, anybody that was going to use it or be a part of it was brought in, whether you're in, you know, BOPS, where you're in, you know, business side, you will come in and you would be a part of this presentation. So everybody understands this is just something that we're all will be using. And if everybody's in agreement, then that's a product that most likely we'd be in. And so I think my biggest two things is understanding you know, do not go over the person's head, you know, make sure that that person's is included, the one that's actually going to be using it. And then number two, on the flip side, 
you know, if you're going to bring this vendor in, make sure that everyone's on the same page. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and maybe going back to what Derek was saying, sometimes, you know, if you tell them, look, it doesn't fit the workflow, are they willing to listen or not? Because maybe they're not going to be willing to listen and change the way, you know, or admit that it's going to, it's not going to fit the workflow, right? They'll listen when we don't buy it and many others don't buy the product. Yeah, you go. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Very true. Yeah, but, uh, makes sense. Uh, anybody else wants to share their experience or bad experiences with startups? I'll, I'll share that a, a mistake I've, I've experienced is where we're as a professional organization being pitched something that they bring tremendous value to our organization for, but the value is really that they can then say they work with our organization. Wow. Yeah. And it's always kind of a fun little investigation of, you know, when, when they come in and say, look, this is our new water and the Pittsburgh penguins use it. And then you speak to Alexi and they're like, Oh, well they sent us some boxes of it, but it's, you know, it's not a part of our day to day. And, and so I think that being not only clear on, on what the product is, the impact that you're going to, to have, but also like that, they are the the b to b conversation it's not really b to c like it's a business speaking to another business that's going to implement it and when uh people are really just trying to slap your logo on Come there on, it, it really does not go over well and it's very clear too like you know the organizations or startups that have done their due diligence and are researched and and exist versus the let's get into professional sports because there's only what across the major five, six, however many sports, there's 150 organizations. Like if you sell one to each one, that's not a market that's sustainable. Like it has to be something that works for youth sports or collegiate athletics and something kind of bigger than the professional sports world. The pro sports world is just the, they use it. So you should too. Yeah, that's a good point. I've seen also, also some startups just put, like you said, the logo of a team on their site, but also sometimes they've got they're giving them a special discount of very you know low price, which is good for the team, right? Uh, but sometimes it's uh, it's a confusing for other other buyers, right? Uh, one of the mistakes I've seen is I just maybe thought about this is there was one article that I saw about a Premier League club. And in that article, it was mentioned that this one company, uh, they make they made it look like it was they were the main reason with their technology why this Premier League club had so many few injuries. And then somebody reached out to that Premier League club, and they were like, "That's not true. This is not true." There was many other two that were using. So sometimes maybe I think starts to just make some claims. They want to make it look like they they were the only tool or solution that that was the reason why this team had so many few injuries. But that wasn't the case. Right. So anyway, just another mistake that I've seen. We're talking people here. We're not talking technology. You know, it's two different things. Right. <laughs> yeah, but they, That's make right. Things. they want to make it look like in front of the media. This is only because of us. Yeah, yeah. Right. I know. So, you um, see where they're coming from. They're salesmen. They're trying to get the product out there. It make it makes sense, but like, you know, to, to Adam and to everybody's points, 
you know, if you start to kind of operate, you know, as that salesman pushing the truth, stretching it out all the time, you know, those relationships you're trying to build, you know, will end pretty quickly and then you won't have any lasting, you know, long enough to sustain the market, I think. So it's classic salesman kind of. But I think the teams always find out the truth, right? Because they all talk to each other. I mean, many of them, right? So that can only go a long way, I think. Um, so, um, hey, the, the, uh, if any, so on the other side, right? I guess what are the best approaches or strategies used by sports performance startup that you guys have seen, right? Maybe they had, you know, they were very, they were good at listening to the teams, the needs. Uh, they were very patient. Maybe they had great customer support. Uh, you know, they helped you guys build some new features. I mean, what are the, I guess, the best experiences that you've, you've had with, uh, you know, with some startups? Well, you said everything I had to say, Julien, so, you know, there's nothing else to say. You know? For me, it was being proactive, going there and say, hey, you know, what are your needs? You know, is there room for this? You know, will you have time? Will you have men, just like Derek was saying, will you have resources? So, uh, yeah. looking the other way around. Um, and again, you know, you know, the uh, the the, uh, the support, you know, technical support, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but uh, that's that's one part of the equation. So, like I said, you've said everything for me. Thanks. I think it's almost an attitude of, okay, we have a product that's it's a good product, and it, it could help. Let's see if it can help you. Let's yeah. see if it can match with your situation, and then if it's close, you know, maybe we can tweak it a little bit or, or make it fit better. But you know, coming in, not in the assumption that you guys need this, this is going to change everything for you, but hey, let's see if we can help you. This is a great technology we've been working on it for a long time. Let's see if, you know, you can put it to good use and we can work together to make it an effective tool in your arsenal kind of thing. And when you have that underlying approach, I think you're, you're probably going to have a better relationship with the sports scientist, the strength coach, the therapist, who's ever using it. And then, you know, you'll both grow with that technology and it'll probably work its way into regular use, more likely work it's into regular use yeah what if what if there was something would you, you know, as opposed to you guys are not using it you guys are you know, you know what are you doing yeah makes sense anybody else they know your team better than you come on yeah there's nothing like a salesman telling you what you should do to win a championship mm -hmm. and if you don't then you probably yeah. won't win <laughs> But yeah, I, I, mean, yeah, I was going to say, I'll tell you a story on that. So there was one, was an Irish startup, right? Think of AMS platform. They went to talk to a French rugby team, to the athletic training staff, and the guy goes, if you use our AMS platform, you're going to win. And then the French rugby team said, look, I'm sorry, but we're a French team. You know, you guys are Irish. You're not going to tell us how to win. And I was kind of funny when he said that, but, you know, that was not the best strategy, I guess. <laughs> But, um, you know, any self-proof is, I guess, good for those guys. Anybody wants to share their, maybe their good experiences with startups and what they've seen and, you know, what they might have done well? Anybody? Um, I'll, I'll close it with what, what's, what seems to work across the board is mastering and managing through a human experience and having conversations and seeing what people's intentions are with the product and how a team would utilize it and not just trying to make the sale uh, till they get the commission or whatever it is. And oftentimes there's a, a product that comes along and they say, great, you know, we think we could build this with you. 
you know, once you all purchase it, we'll have our support staff work with you and we'll build it up. Like you're basically trying to sell somebody on something that you're then going to build with them or really for them. But then you'll end up taking that concept and selling it to the next person. Like there's a, there's a, there's a beauty in the trial phase and of like the R and D and kind of working together to develop something that it doesn't necessarily have a price tag on it. And it really is just to help the individuals or the professionals that you're working with um, rather than just trying to make the sale. But Adam, do you want that technology that is going to go for you to sell it and give it to other teams though? I mean, I'll take what works for the other teams and maybe use it for us. Okay. But, but, but with that, like it's, this is a tough, this is a tough, tough topic for me. If, we as the professionals are going to be using this new product and the organization is maybe even paying or there's like a sponsorship for the organization to use this tech and the providers are then needing to go out of their way they're needing to learn more do more stuff outside of the office and there's no additional payment either that's a it's a pretty muddy murky area mm -hmm. Um, but it's, uh, I don't really have much more to say on it, but it's, it's raised some eyebrows I've seen through the years. Yeah. Um, anybody else have any thoughts? No. Okay. Okay. The, the last topics we need, you know, we're just a few weeks away from, um, the U S open tennis. Uh, I mean, Djokovic is really trying to go for his 24th grand slam title. Uh, some argue that, you know, he's not the best for the, the GOAT, right, as they call it, ever. Um, so a couple of questions is, what do you think is going to be his biggest opponent? And everybody's looking at the Spaniards, right? Alcaraz has been one of them. And should Djokovic be considered the best player of all time or the GOAT? Anybody has any thoughts? I think, Pierre, you like tennis, so maybe I'm, I'm looking at you. I have lots of thoughts. I'm coming from the tennis world, so, you know, as as much as soccer. So, and my best friend happens to be with me tonight, so I just threw the topic, you know, before before we uh, we went on. Uh, and he's a tennis pro. The good thing, just like for the messy good debate, I don't want to be part of this, the good debate. Um, now, for the... Uh, for the, for the other thing in the US Open and Joko, the only thing that I won't say is that a Joko is obviously, uh, when it comes to preparing and technology and expertise and drive and motivation and visible training, and it, it's, it's probably up there, you know? And, yeah. um, and, if you, and if you go back to, if you go back to the French Open, you know, Alcaraz on, on clay was pretty, was pretty you know, impressive prior to the French and everybody was saying Alcaraz is the favorite and then sure enough we, we also what happened in the final now you fast forward now in Wimbledon you know now Joko based on the French is now the favorite you know and we all know what happened in the final although yeah. although Joko was one ball away from being up to zero and that would have been different and the first thing that Joko said after the game was you know what Alcaraz is the best player in the world so he said you know you take the pressure you know now and then let's see what happened in, in, at the US Open so Mm -hmm. uh, everything is calculated and he's already he was focused you know but from the second he lost uh, Wimbledon so let's see so you don't you don't have a uh, do you think he's gonna win can he win the US Open 
of course, can he win? We don't have to debate that. You know, of course he can. Yeah. You know, um, there is competition, but uh, yeah, he has to be a top two, three, if you want. Yeah, you know, favorite for the U.S. Yeah, I agree. Um, anybody else have any thoughts on Djokovic? Maybe um, Alexi. I know you kind of follow tennis a little bit for some time. Yeah, I mean. It, it, you win 23, 24, and he's, he's not done yet. It's going to be hard not to, you know, not to not to be called, you know, the greatest or at least one of the greatest, especially when some of those came against that are in the final, Nadal in the final, the other, you know, the greats. He did go toe-to-toe with them for a while. I'm a big Roger Federer fan myself, so you have a hard time convincing me personally to say Djokovic over Roger, but, um, you know, his, his longevity and now in his, He's been doing it at a pretty high level for an incredibly long amount of time. And he, again, went toe-to-toe with pretty much everybody in the sport the last decade. And, you know, he might be polarizing off the court, but if he had, you know, if he had Rafa's personality or Roger's personality off the court, it would probably be a much shorter uh, conversation. But that's kind of what makes those two a little extra special, I think. Alex, are you saying he's arrogant? I'm joking, but <laughs> a tiny bit. Right. He's just different. They're all different. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else before we close? Anybody else has any uh, thoughts on Djokovic? No? I'll take it as a no. Uh, but look, we're we at the end of the podcast, but I want to thank you again for your time today. It's always uh, insightful. Thank you. Hey, thank, thank you. Guys. Uh, this is great. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Great to right. catch up with everyone. Yeah, great to see you. Same here. All right, fellas, take care. You too. See ya. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time. Keep looking to the upside.